welcome back to another episode of Getting in Plainside. I'm Echo. I'm Derek. And I'm Jenny. Great. So today's episode is going to be about bulletproofing and overcompensating, and we'll talk more about what those mean and define it and provide some examples. But I thought it would be nice to open up the conversation with a an article that we think is appropriate for today's topic, or should I say, an image? And this is something that Echo found recently. It's an image of employees at Twitter. And uh, could could one of you describe what we're seeing here? Yeah, looks like a bunch of uh, Twitter employees. Um, most there's some uh, mostly Asian, uh, South Asian, East Asian, a few Caucasians in there, but mostly Asians in there. Given the thumbs up uh, or uh, peace sign, uh, along with Elon Musk right in the middle of all of this. And I think this was when I think. Elon was asking, you know, we only want you here if you're hardcore. Yeah. Yep. So I guess this is him trying to say, like, these are the hardcore folks. And I also remember uh, reading about people who were fired or who resigned because they didn't want to be part of that hardcore culture. And I think Elon was spending like nights in the office mm-hmm. and trying to do those like code reviews with those people. Like you're like, supposed to work around the clock. You're yeah. supposed to live here, mm-hmm. and if you are not able to do that, then you're not worthy of being a, an employee at Twitter. So how are you feeling about this? The fact that, you know, as, as Doug, you said, a lot of the people here are Asians. You know, I'm kind of looking at that picture and I'm kind of cringing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think there's some hidden things in plain sight here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I could ask these folks in this, this picture, this, this picture could actually answer me. I wonder how many are on Visa, because mm-hmm. if you're on Visa, you you don't have another job, or if you're fired from your job, you have, I think, about what, 30 days or so to find another job, or you're forced to leave the country. Yeah, I think there's like a grace period of like 30 or 60 days. I can't remember that. Days. That's yeah. not a long time. Yeah. That's not a long time. So, so we're assuming that a lot of these engineers who are here aren't here because they want to be here, because they have to be. Yeah, look, I'm sure they could have taken a compensation package, right? Mm-hmm. Like three or four months salary and taking a vacation if they can't find a job within like was it that 30 or 60 day period mm-hmm. they're forced to leave the country that's yeah. actually uh pretty frightening so it seems like maybe for them or for those who uh, are in that situation you know you really only have one option but to be hardcore mm-hmm. and what are you going to say like yeah like give me this money and then you know this is during like the uh, time where we have this like recession in tech you know, how are you going to find another job in tech right away within a 30 to 60 job search can take anywhere from like six to eight months something. Yeah. The level of experience that you're looking at uh, uh, coming at. Mm-hmm. I, I love what you said about cringe. So I, I do cringe at this photo and I, I wonder what the repercussions would be when people look at this and they don't think about the things that we just talked about. Like, you know, these engineers are here because they have to be here. That's the handcuff, right? The golden handcuff. Mm. And they might think, oh, so the hardcore uh, engineers who decided to stay are the Asians. Of course, they're the Asians, you know, and it kind of perpetuates this idea that Asians, Asians are so Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We are not those Twitter employees, of course, so we can really speak on behalf of them. 
we don't know if they're actually willing to be there or they're forced to be there. But one thing for a fact is like, if you continue to see those pictures, those images, Asians working hard, you're going to internalize that. Image. Mm-hmm. And some way or the other, that becomes the expectation to work hard. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting just to even hear that, you know, this is a continuous problem that's going on. And if this is what people have in their mind when they think about, you know, or think of Asian employees, what happens when you don't want to do that? Like, I don't want to spend yeah. my nights in the office. I don't want to work 70 hours a week. Um, and then what happens when for people like that who don't conform to those stereotypes? Yeah. You know, this is interesting because, you know, um, around June of this last year, I was let go from my job. And one of the first things I thought I saw a lot of people do is they're like, they jump right in the market. I need like three or four months off. Like my mind is just tired. Like I need to give myself a break. Uh, and I thought about like, you know, if I don't do this, I won't have enough money. Of course, the whole, uh, because I'm a citizen, uh, I, don't, I didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. being uh, kicked out of the country. I had worried about being kicked out of the apartment because it's New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I, I don't want to perpetuate this thing where it's like I'm chasing after money or I'm just jumping from one thing after another without taking that time to really reflect and understand what it is it that I want, what is it that will benefit my career in the long term. I think it's beneficial uh, for folks that have that um, the ability to do that and the, you know, the, of course, the, the finance, finances. I mean, that was a luxury that I had and I wanted to give to myself. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Talking about overcompensating in that picture, I think we can also talk about our own experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jenny uh, Echo and myself have gone through a PhD program, and you know, there's you know, there's things that I've noticed, like little trends that like all of us like PhD students do within that program. And I was just curious to kind of understand or know uh, whether you overcompensated in the work that you did in the program or are you still doing it now i almost feel like as i reflect upon this word like overcompensating like what drives that like is it because we just hold a higher bar on ourselves so we wanted to live up to that or this is literally like hey because i'm being asian and i don't want it to look bad in front of other people so i ended like overcompensating for that and also, what's the penalty that you pay when you don't conform to those stereotypes? Yeah, I mean, maybe it showcases like, oh, every time they do their, you know, this person does their work, it comes out perfect and things work out all, all the time. And that's what we should expect every time. Mm-hmm. And there won't be any flaws or any, um, you know, uh, missteps mm-hmm. in that. And it becomes the standard versus, um, you know, what, you know, sometimes things take, uh, you know, time, right? Uh, to, to go through, like you know, in writing, it's an iterative process for us, right? Where mm-hmm. that first draft is always going to be trash. Later on, mm-hmm. when you look at it, later on, it's going yeah. to be trash, or like it's going to be to, uh, totally going to change based on. That. I think, um, speaking from my experience, I think it was, you know, there's this also this aspect of like saving face, not embarrassing myself. Um, you know, uh, and thinking like, you know, maybe others are 
um, good or better or really at their highest point of their game. And I want to make sure that I meet that as well, too, mm -hmm. uh, in the program. Part of that was always there. And part of me wanted to also take time and just uh, you know, become good at this craft that, you know, that we were learning, right? To be a good psychologist, how to carry out a good study, how to make sure we set up certain things uh, in the right way so that uh, we can have actually maybe significant data so that we can publish on it and talk about it. Because I think that the work that we're doing is, you know, it's cutting edge stuff. We, I feel like we get a chance do a bit of the work that we want, right? So um, I feel like I wanted that to reflect you know, or show up uh, there, and I didn't want it to be or come off as shoddy work or like just half half thought, half thought out or nascent, you know. Um, yeah, I just didn't, for me, I just didn't want that. That's interesting. I, I pick up on this word as like prevent from like losing face or having this like a face culture. Almost like made me think about this like regulatory focus theory where the prevention focus versus the promotion focus. So for the prevention focus people that they look at that like how much loss they can avoid in order to drive them to do this thing versus like a promotion focus or more like here's the rewards I'm going to strive for. That's why I'm going for it. And from what you talked about, Doc, earlier, mm -hmm. it's almost like I'm trying to avoid being like, look bad mm -hmm. on me. So I'm working hard to compensate it. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be like more seen into Asians? Or this is more like just a personal style, like the, the personality itself? Oh, Echo, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean. For me, I'm the first one in my family to go to college, and you know, my mom like has like a second grade education, mm -hmm. and of course, like I gleam a lot of knowledge from my mom, even though she doesn't have the education background. I know that every time I, um, every class that I've been in, high school to undergrad, sometimes I may be the only in high school. Of course, I may be the only Asian person mm -hmm. in the group in Iowa. Um, in college, I may be the only. Maybe, Vietnamese. We know the story about uh, Vietnamese refugees and three different waves that came in through. And the last thing you'll, you you want to do is to showcase that these refugees that came in decades ago, their kids are finally going to school and working as hard. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is in a way like trying to fight certain stereotypes that are out there in a way to kind of disprove it. But in doing so, it creates um, more work for myself more work that others have to live up to as well, too, if they want to perpetuate the stereotype. And in a way, it's kind of un unfair to, to others if we're comparing ourselves and we allow others to compare themselves to us as well, too. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jenny? Well, it's interesting what you say about how your upbringing sort of influences this tendency to bulletproof in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I think in my case, I don't think it was my upbringing. I think it's the projections that I got at work, at school, it's not that I have, I was, I feel like I have to overcompensate or bulletproof to begin with. But to give you an example, whenever I do work, people assume that I can do more than I can. So mm. they'll start giving me work, more and more work, and I'll accept it. And initially, like early on, I never said no. 
So I would say mm. yes to a lot of things. Mm. So at one point I was spread so thin because I had so many different things on my plate. And then, you know, that's the new benchmark, right? Yeah. That people kind of judge you by. And then if you say no to things or if you let something go, then you get penalized for that. And so in that sense, I started to kind of overcompensate and bulletproof my work because I feel like that was the expectation that people had. That's so fascinating to think about the concept like saying no, like how much that consequence that has upon you. Because even like these days, we heard people saying like, hey, as a woman, as a as a like an underrepresented group, you should start to like saying no because it's a, itself is a power that that we should be like seeing more things. Like even like, I, I think there was an article that I read, like there's no need to even like saying the reason why you say no, just say no. And I wonder like how much that would differ from person to person in terms of like the consequences of this brings in. Like for some groups where your stereotypes are being, or the expectation of you is like being like, non-dominant being like submissive mm -hmm. like not gonna say no saying mm. yeah not gonna say yeah. no what does that differ for this group versus someone who do not have that type? i don't think there's enough of studies showing that this is safe for people who are perceived or expected of like not saying no but i saw Going back a little bit on that like upbringing concept there is, I know like when I'm growing up, um, or and it's like I know a lot of my friends like growing up in China, a lot of the education that I got is more like a penalty education, meaning like I will get penalized or penalized not doing something. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas here, like a lot of my American friends were having this encouragement kind of like rewards kind of a style like. Then a positive affirmation. Very, yeah, yeah, very like a positive affirmation mm -hmm. there. And I don't know if that has also something to do with this is like we always trying to avoid that penalty in front of us mm -hmm. versus like here is like once you get something done, you're going to so much of a rewards out of it. And you're more likely to say no because you just don't want to do it and there's no penalty on it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, Echo, you got me thinking a lot about all these different like branches and decisions, right? And I, I'm thinking about like where I was like eight, nine years ago versus where I am now, whether I can say no to certain things. Can you? Do you say no to things? I think at I the can... workplace these days? Um oh gosh, let me see. Uh, this new job I'm not saying no because I'm I'm onboarding it. Uh I'm saying yes because I, I think it's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, not because I, you know, like I uh, I have to do it. I may get <laughs> I may get looped into the whole engagement survey, which isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. But I may say that yes because I think that's fun, mm -hmm. not because I feel like I need to do it, but more so I want to do it. Mm. Okay, that I think that's an important yeah. difference. If you're saying yes to things because you're interested in yeah. it, you want to grow, you want to you know see how engagement services are done in in this organization. Yeah. I would say that there was a period after I was laid off, a couple of weeks later, there's a, there's a couple of startups that are looking for someone in my role. And I told them, I didn't tell them no. I did tell them I'm a little bit tired mm -hmm. and I need a couple of months to rest. Conditional no. <laughs> mm -hmm. I told them, 
that should I still be, should I be interested, you know, when I'm rested, uh, I'm back to full or 80% health, I'll mm -hmm. reach out. Mm -hmm. And I just never did because there's a part of me that just didn't want to continue this lifestyle, yep. this yeah. work style that put me to the grind. And I think, I think I've worked hard and I've proved, my, proved myself to give myself, to give myself that liberty or afford myself the ability to say no and not care about it. Did you, were you the one who asked it about how this affects other minority groups as well? So I have done a little bit of research on this oh, yeah. and I do know that I've done a lot of like qualitative work um, and talked to people about, you know, what it's like being a Latina woman or an Asian person mm -hmm. or, a, you, know, you know, a black professional in the corporate workplace. And I do know that a lot of the black professionals that I speak to talk about the concept of bulletproofing. Um, one example that comes to mind is this female engineer that I spoke to, black engineer. She was the only woman on her team, the only black person mm. on her team. And she was going to send something in to a conference, yeah. like an abstract. And her boss was just saying, oh, you, you can just send something that that's, you know, incomplete because, you know, they'll give you an extension. And what she told me was, I... I told my boss, I can't do that because I am not a man. I am not white. I have to send something in that's completely, you know, oh, complete from yeah. start to finish. And that theme came up a mm. lot among um, a lot of the people of color that, that I spoke to, especially among the black professionals. So I think it does come up for them, like mm. the idea of bulletproofing and overcompensating because they don't want to, you know, what's the stereotype that people have about? Incompetence. Yeah, incompetence, mm -hmm. you know, the affirmative action bias, the stereotype that people have about, you know, um, they black professionals. To be there. Exactly. Yeah. And so they feel like I can't afford to f*** this up. Yeah. Now you said this, I wonder, like for Asians, the aspect that we were compensating could be different. So for mm -hmm. example, um, I think what this entire conversation went from was um, I asked you to to correct my pronunciation. And because that has something to do with like, oh, you're being like a foreigner to this country, you're being like Asians and you're being like not being seen as like like a native speaker. Like, mm -hmm. how does that really like speak to you? And so I have to be this like perfect in my pronunciation mm -hmm. in talking to other people yeah so i do think that has a lot to do with like where that aspect that we are trying to compensate for so mm -hmm. like asians being like non-social so some people will actually overcompensate mm -hmm. being like extrovert i definitely did that especially when i was in colombia not colombia the school but the country because i could already tell and maybe this is just my own you know um self self-confirming bias but when i walked into a classroom I could see that there was a lot of just like blank faces, like, oh, she's going to be, you know, uh, they call them karaoke professors, like, mm. um, as uh -oh. in like, they're just going to read off the slides. Like, that's, that's wow. what they say. But then I come in and I'm peppy. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And then like everybody's face lights up. So I, I, I definitely overcompensate yeah. to break that stereotype of the impersonal, robotic, you know, yeah. high on competence, but low on warmth stereotype that people have about Asians. Yeah. I think I kind of did that in the PhD program a little bit as well, too. I think I came in with an I.O. background, mm -hmm. and people typically think that I.O. is very quant-heavy, and that's what they do. That's what they stick with. And I'm like, well, let me see if I can do qualities. Yeah. Just to showcase that, you know, I have, you know, this 
skill set, this range of skill set, not just this one skill set. I didn't want anyone to really pigeonhole. It's funny because I was just about to say that. Could you explain the concept of pigeonholing? It's one of the things I'm really afraid of. And this is like, you know, when people think these are your competencies and what you're good at, they sign you work that's related to that, right? It could be stats, it could be uh, doing certain things in Excel. And what may happen is that because you get assigned that work, right, you don't get these other stretch rules that uh, allow you to network, learn from other folks, learn other skills in the workplace, and you end up only really refining that skill set that you're already good at. And then now you're only, the only path that you have is the path that you're really good at, not the, all these other paths that you've branched out on. Maybe we can plug our study that is under review. We're not going to give the whole thing away, but one of the things that we found was that Asians, well, one of the stereotypes that people in the workplace have about Asians is that they are quant savvy, right? Yeah. They're very technical. That's what popped into my mind when you were talking about pigeonholing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, there was a part of you that I maybe was uh, aware of that and didn't want to perpetuate that. So I went out of my way or get away from roles that were just, dislike or only that oh my goodness duck now i just realized maybe i wonder if that's why i i said yes to all those roles within <gasps> the program like i said really? yes to being the you know the comp coordinator the yeah. the, the pc liaison ah. you know i was it was very front facing very yeah, it required, all these yeah it required a lot of like you know personal skills yeah. and not just like punching data yeah so i'm wondering if, was i overcompensating for that mm -hmm. oh, yeah were you I don't know. Maybe I was. Well, maybe, maybe like I subconsciously, was. that's what I just going put those on there. two things together right now. Mm. Yeah. Echo, what about you? Well, for me, I think the story is a little bit different. Um, I do think Quang's related stuff give me an edge. Like mm -hmm. even like when I first go into this program, mm -hmm. like I know like when I because I at the time like we need to find like internship in mm -hmm. order to like fulfill the requirements from the Echo program. never has like, a problem finding a job. <laughs> <laughs> and then like like the 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 lady in the career survey is like like Echo, you used to be an engineer, so you must be good at math. Mm -hmm. And you need to highlight that. Mm -hmm. And your you're strengths. cringing, duck. You're yeah. cringing. And so now like reflecting that journey, like all those uh roles that I ended like finding are like program analysis or like analytic roles. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've presented a lot at PSYOP, which is a, a conference for um, IO psychologists. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, it stands for um, Society, Society for... Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Yeah, and I've gone to a lot of your panels, Echo. Yeah, so I do feel like at a certain degree that I do want to break that stereotype. But mm. also at the same time, I know that I enjoy that stereotype on me. So I give me an edge. But then when you're hitting like a certain point, you realize now you're now down with all those like Alex stuff mm. and you wanted to move to other new things. So what I'm hearing is it can serve you well early on. But when you want to start climbing the corporate ladder, it might not matter so much because the question then becomes about can this person motivate and lead people? Can this person, does this person have the interpersonal skills to lead? And usually people, when, when people look at Asians, the answer is what? Oh, no, no. Middle management. <laughs> middle management. That's where you're good at. That's what you're good at. That's where you stay. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I know that's one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of Asians in senior leadership positions. You know, there's a, in a way, this is kind of ironic, right? Because in a way, as uh, the three of us who are 
speaking in this podcast in a way we are the leaders oh yeah in this and uh-huh. I, I want us to take a moment and kind of recognize that we are thought leaders on are, this topic yeah because we actually want to bring the conversation to this and to put focus on this to see is this what you want mm-hmm. if it's not what you want reflect upon it and mm-hmm. make changes yeah. in order to get what it is that you want you know yeah. uh, in a way what we're doing for folks right now is to allow them to soak in our experiences and reflect on themselves to see am i am i being pigeonholed am i playing to my strengths am i more than what other people think i am i think mm-hmm. it's fantastic yeah let's just savor that moment I, I love that we are thought leaders yeah 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 so when you say who are the leaders i would say we are the leaders in this i want to make sure that we we call each other out on this as well mm-hmm. too yeah 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 instead of downplaying what we do yeah, we do it to each other, and I, I know Doug, you've been calling us out. Say, like, hey, let's not minimize our work. You know, we mm. are doing this because we are subject matter experts. We are, experts on we are this. the leaders. We on are this. leaders on this. Yeah, I love that. So maybe you could think about middle management, but you can also think of as Asians as leaders as well too. I mean, in certain communities, there may be a lot of different leaders, and that's you know quite all right. It, it is there. I, I think we just forget it and think of just leadership in organization. And I think mm-hmm. we do that. We may be, you know, short-selling our own community. Mm-hmm. This entire like a pigeonhole story that remind me this recent news. Um, so Apple just hired their first chief HR officer for the first time. They've never had a CHRO before. They have never had a CHRO okay. before. Really? And this person is an IO psychologist. <gasps> really? What's Wait, his or her background? It's her. It's a her. Okay. okay. Um, Want to make sure that I'm getting my pronouns right. <laughs> It's a her. Her name is Carol Sothis. Uh She worked in PepsiCo before two other like chief CHRO role. Uh-huh. And then I do think what this tells us is like, I think very earlier on that we even like talk about like, mm-hmm. hey, as IOs, we claim that we know everything in HR, but none of us are become the chief HR officer. Um, and at yeah. a certain degree, like I wonder if it because we pigeonhole ourselves to be this person behind the scenes, we worked off all those like signs behind it, but we never like get there up front mm-hmm. uh, because we know like as like a chief of uh, HR office is there's also so many other things that involve to be yeah. one, right? Mm-hmm. So this entire like a pigeonhole conversation remind me like, hey, there's something that you we shouldn't like limit ourselves to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Not limiting ourselves. Do you want to hear what ChatGPT say about this? Yes. Yeah, let's <laughs> yes. hear it. Uh, break free from the mold. Embrace your unique journey. Flourish on your path. All right. Oh. That's a great way to end the episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you later on our next episode of Hidden in Plain Sight, your podcast for all things Asian in the workplace.